All right, so we're taking this season of Advent to do a series that we're calling The Thrill of Hope. And to really understand that title, you have to understand what Advent is all about. Uh, and let me just give you a little context. I know we've been talking a lot about it. We had an uh, Advent prayer service this Wednesday that was absolutely amazing. The word Advent means the arrival of something or someone very, very important. And we call these weeks leading up to Christmas the season of Advent because we are preparing, we are waiting to celebrate the incarnation. We are waiting to celebrate the coming of the Messiah. We are waiting to celebrate the arrival of Jesus into the world. But the reality is that this four-week long season that we call Advent is just actually a symbol of the real season of Advent. The real season of Advent was not just a few weeks long. The real season of Advent was centuries long, hundreds and hundreds of years long. It was the season of waiting that the people of God experienced as they were actually waiting for the Messiah to come. It was this long period of time. And in a very real sense, this season of Advent began with the Old Testament prophets. Prophets like Isaiah that we're studying as we go through this series. Prophets who began prophesying about this coming Messiah, this coming King, this coming Savior. This was a Messiah who was going to bring justice into the world. This was a Messiah that was going to restore the world. This was a Messiah who was going to make things right. So even though they were going through tough times now, even though they were facing hardships now, they knew, they knew that help was on the way. They knew that a Savior was on the way. They knew that there was light at the end of the tunnel. So as they awaited this coming Messiah, they could wait in hope. That's what Advent is all about. It's about waiting in hope. But we didn't just call this series hope. We call this series the thrill of hope. And the definition of the word thrill is a sudden feeling of excitement. You wait for something good to happen. You wait and you wait and you wait and you wait. And then finally, all of a sudden, it happens. That's what happened at the incarnation. The people of God waited and waited and had been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for centuries. And then all of a sudden, it happened. The God of the universe entered into this world. The Messiah entered into this world. The one who was gonna set things right entered into this world. Now, the sad thing is that many who were waiting for the Messiah for all of those years missed it when it happened. They missed the incarnation. But for those who didn't, it was thrilling. It was thrilling to the angels. The shepherds were thrilled. The wise men were thrilled. Now, I think one of the best ways to understand Advent and to understand the thrill of hope is by watching the World Cup. I can tell some of you have been watching the World Cup. 
Some of you maybe on work time have been watching the World Cup, pretending maybe to do other stuff. The United States is out, right? But one of our staff, David, is from Argentina. And Argentina is in the semifinals. Argentina is one of the final four teams remaining in the World Cup. Can I get an amen for that, for David, right? Now, if you watch a soccer match, what the world calls football, if you watch a soccer match, it's all about the thrill of hope. You wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait for the arrival of something very important, a goal. But when it happens, after all the waiting, when it happens, the result is absolutely thrilling. Take a look at this. That is the thrill of hope. If you're a soccer fan, you wait and you wait and you wait for a goal. Sometimes the wait is short. Sometimes the wait is excruciatingly long. But you wait in hope. And then when it arrives suddenly and unexpectedly, it is thrilling. And you are overwhelmed with joy. That's the way God works in our lives. We all experience these seasons of Advent in our lives. Seasons where we are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Waiting for a prayer to be answered. Waiting for a relationship that we are looking for. Waiting for an answer. Waiting for someone to come to Jesus that we've been praying for for all of these years, waiting for a relationship to be restored, waiting for a marriage to be restored, waiting for a miracle, waiting, waiting, waiting. And then it comes. Maybe not the way that we expected it to come, maybe not in the timing that we expected, maybe it doesn't look like we expected it to look, but it comes. God breaks into our situation. God breaks into our world with manifestations of grace and manifestations of love. And if we don't miss it, the results are thrilling. Now, the truth is that most of us actually, if the truth would be known, hate the season of Advent. Oh, we like Christmas, and we like all the things that kind of go with Christmas, but in reality, we hate the season of Advent. We hate waiting, especially in the United States, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why it's taken so long for soccer to catch on in the U.S., because we don't like to wait for anything, even goals. We want baskets. We want touchdowns. We want home runs, and we want them to come fast and furious. 
We don't want to wait. And the same is true in our lives. We hate to wait. But you cannot experience the thrill of hope without the season of Advent. It's the waiting that makes the arrival even more thrilling. Now, last week we looked at Isaiah 9. And this week we're looking at Isaiah 11. And like Isaiah 9, Isaiah is talking about this coming Messiah, this Messiah that they are waiting on, this Messiah who's going to come and set things right. And this is the way chapter 11 begins. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now, a shoot that comes out of a stump or a branch that comes out of a tree is a way of saying that someone has descended from someone else. They have come out of someone else. So Isaiah is saying that this Messiah, this messianic king, will come out of Jesse, who's the father of David. It's a way of saying that the Messiah will be the descendant of David and Jesse. But then if you go down in verse 10, it doesn't just say that this Messiah is a shoot of Jesse. It says also that this Messiah is the root of Jesse. He says, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nation will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. Now, a root is something that you grow out of. So here Isaiah is saying that this Messiah is not only a descendant of David and Jesse, that they are also descendants of his. Now you ask, how is that possible? How, how can the Messiah both be a descendant of David and Jesse and at the same time be the source of David and Jesse? And it's because this is a incredibly bold declaration that Isaiah is making. Before he understood anything about Jesus of Nazareth, like he never knew the story of Jesus of Nazareth. He never really knew the story of the second person of the Godhead. He didn't really have any, under, any, any, under, any, other, any understanding of the Trinity, like the idea of three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons in one God. He had no real understanding of any of that. But yet, in God's inspiration, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he's writing, he makes this declaration that this Messiah who will be born into the world is more than just another prophet. He is the creator God who is not only the root of David and Jesse, but is also the root of all of us, that he is the eternal God, man. And folks, this is the miracle of Christmas. This is why Christmas is so category breaking because Jesus is not just another religious founder. Jesus is not just another prophet. Jesus is not just another sage who has come to tell you how to find God. Jesus is the God who has come to find you. Can I get an amen for that? Through Jesus, God has punched a hole in the barrier between heaven and earth and has brought heaven down to earth. Then Isaiah describes this Messiah. 
who brings heaven down to earth. He describes this Messiah who punches this hole between heaven and earth. He says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Isaiah is saying that this Messiah has both power and counsel. Both power and wisdom. That not only does he have the power to do what is right, he has the wisdom to know what the right thing is to do. That's an incredible combination. He has power and wisdom. He says in verse three that he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Think about all of the stupid decisions that you have made in your life, the decisions that you wish that you could take back, the decisions that you look back on and say, I know that was not God's best for my life. I know that was not a wise decision. I know that did not get me to the place that God wanted me to go. Like, I understand that was a stupid decision. Like, think about all of the stupid decisions that you've made in your life. And if you're like me, and if you're like almost everyone else that I have ever talked to about this, those stupid decisions were almost always because you went on appearances. It looked good, or they looked good, or she looked good, or he looked good, or it sounded good. No way you can lose money on this investment, no way. It sounds so good. But Isaiah is saying that's not true of the Messiah. That's not true of God. That God is not making decisions based on appearances or on what people think. God's wisdom is different than that. In fact, God's wisdom often looks foolish to the world. Think about the life and ministry of Jesus. If you got together a bunch of really, really smart consultants, got them in a room and they ask them to put together a strategic plan for how to change the world, how to change the world, how to influence the world, how to turn the world upside down, how to make a difference in the world, it would look very different than the life and ministry of Jesus. That conversation would not sound like this. Okay, let's find someone who was born in a stable to poor parents who spent his entire life in small, out-of-the-way villages instead of the centers of cultural influence, who avoided all of the networks of political, social, academic, or economic power, and then right at the beginning of his career, his career gets executed in disgrace. That's not gonna make it into anyone's strategic plan. That's not gonna make it onto anyone's whiteboard that's brainstorming how you change the world. But that was at the center of God's strategic plan. 
The Bible says that the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. We talked about that last week. But the reverse is also true. God's wisdom is foolishness to the world. And then Isaiah goes on to say this, with righteousness, with righteousness, this Messiah will judge the needy. With justice, this Messiah will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Isaiah says that this Messiah will judge the needy. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus will condemn the needy. It literally means that Jesus will make things just for the needy. To judge the needy means that he will make things just for the needy. He will put things right for the needy. Isaiah also says that this messianic king will give decisions for the poor. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, what this means is that the Messiah will stand in the place of the poor. He will stand in the place of the vulnerable. He will stand in the place of the downtrodden. He will stand in the place of those who have no access to power and exercise his power on their behalf. Everyone, everyone, everyone needs an advocate. I've come to understand this in such a greater profound way as I've gone through some of the health stuff that I've gone through this year. I've had people advocating, advocating for me. I've had people advocating with the health community on, on my behalf advocating on my behalf. I've had people advocating before God on my behalf. So many of you this last year have been my advocates. When you tell me that you're praying for me, that's what you're telling me. You're telling me, Rod, I'm advocating to God on your behalf. I just wanna say thank you for that. Don't stop advocating to God on my behalf. Thank you for advocating, advocating, advocating on my behalf. That's what you're doing for anyone, for anyone that you pray for. You are advocating to God on their behalf. We are called to be a people of advocates, to advocate for others, to advocate to God for others on their behalf, to advocate in other ways. And that's what Isaiah says this messianic king is going to do. He's gonna be an advocate for those who need an advocate. He's going to identify with the poor and use his power to make things right again. He will act in righteousness. Righteousness is not just doing the right thing. It's interesting because sometimes we talk about righteousness and we are hesitant to refer to ourselves or to talk about being righteous people. Like we tend to maybe avoid talking about being holy people and righteous people because we think about righteous people as being self-righteous people, of being 
people who look down on other people, people who judge other people, people who find fault with other people. And who wants to be a righteous person? Who wants to be a person like that? But righteousness, righteousness is not just doing the right thing. Righteousness is making things right again for others. That's righteousness. It's pursuing justice. The righteous people in the world are not the holier-than-thou people in the world. They are not the people who look down their noses at other people in the world. They are not the people that judge other people in the world. The righteous people in the world are the ones who are working for justice in the world. The ones who are working to make things right in the world. Those are the righteous people. I want to be a righteous person. I want for our congregation to be filled with righteous, with righteous people. That's what Isaiah says the Messianic king is going to do. Then look at what Isaiah says next. He's talking about this Messiah who is going to set things right who's gonna stand in the place of the poor and the needy and advocate for them and use his power to make things right for them. Then look at what he says next, and it looks as if this is like out of place. It looks as if like, what is this doing in this passage? Look at what he says in verse six. The wolf will lie with the, will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. This is not natural, folks. I just want you to know. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. Not a good idea now. And the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. And they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, what's Isaiah talking about here? He's talking about how this Messiah is not coming into the world just to make the world a little better, just to make the world a little more just, just to make the world a little less violent, just to make the world a little less filled with suffering and pain and loss. He hasn't come into the world just to make the world a little bit better. Isaiah is saying that this Messiah is coming into the world to end all of that forever. He is coming into the world to get rid of death. He's coming into the world to get rid of disease. He's coming into the world to get rid of violence. He's coming into the world to get rid of suffering forever. That's what the cross and the resurrection is all about, that he has come into the world to get rid of all of that forever. The Messiah Jesus is coming into the world to make everything right, to make everything whole again, to make every relationship whole again. He's coming into the world to completely destroy the barrier 
between heaven and earth. He's coming into the world to bring heaven to earth. And you see that in the ministry of Jesus. Like Jesus did not just preach the good news of the kingdom, he fed the hungry, he healed the sick, he raised the dead. Everything he did pointed to this kingdom that those who are in Christ will experience in all of its fullness when Jesus returns. He just kept punching and punching and punching holes in this barrier between heaven and earth and giving people a glimpse of what's to come. His message was wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. But as you are waiting, here are glimpses of what's to come. You can wait in hope. You can wait with glimpses of what is going to come in all of it. You can experience in part what you will experience in entirety when Jesus comes. So wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, but wait in hope. And as people who follow Jesus, we are called to do the same thing. We are called to punch holes in the barrier between heaven and earth and give people a glimpse of what's to come. That's our job description. That's our calling. You wanna, you wanna boil down what your calling is as a follower of Jesus? It is to punch holes in the barriers between heaven and earth so that people can get a glimpse of what's to come. That's our job description. That's our calling. That's why we're here. That's why we're a church. That's why we started the Resource Center. The Resource Center isn't a partner of Fairfax Church. We have, we have a lot of great partners. Teach Haiti, Heart, of, Heart for Lebanon, Villages of Hope, Children of Promise. We have all kinds of great partners around the globe. And through them, we can help, but we help from afar. We can occasionally visit, but we cannot become incarnational there. We can only support those who are incarnational. We started the Resource Center because God has called us to be incarnational. God wants us to come alongside the vulnerable in our community, particularly vulnerable children. He has called us to put things right in the place where we live in the community where we live, in Fairfax County, in this place, he has called us to use whatever resources are at our disposal to be an advocate, to advocate for those who need advocating for. Now, there's lots of ways that you can do that. Lots of ways that you can help us do that. You can give to our No Child Without initiative. We're trying to raised $250,000 by the end of the year to fund this initiative. And we're already at 134,000. Praise the Lord for that. But you can give to that. You can volunteer in the resource center. There are tons of serving opportunities. There are lots of ways that you can volunteer. You can go to our website to to find out both how you can give and how you can serve all of that. But 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 the other thing you can do is just inventory your own gifts, your own talents, your own passions, your own resources, your own abilities, and figure out how to leverage those things in a way that allows you to be an advocate 
for those who need an advocate, to figure out what it means for you to be incarnational in the lives of those who are vulnerable and have very little access to power. Every time you do that, heaven comes to earth. Every time you do that, God uses you to punch a hole in the barrier between heaven and earth. And the more holes that get punched, the more heaven comes to earth. And the more that heaven comes to earth, the more glimpses that people get of what's to come. And the more they see Jesus, the more holes that get punched in the barrier that separates heaven from earth, the more people see Jesus. And the more they see Jesus, the more they want to know Jesus. And the more they want to know Jesus, the more they want to follow Jesus. And the more they want to follow Jesus, the more they want to punch some holes themselves. And we just keep punching holes in this barrier between heaven and earth. So let's punch some holes, Fairfax. Are you with me on this? Let's punch some holes. Let's punch some holes. Let's punch some holes between heaven and earth. Let's bring heaven to earth in this community. Let's bring heaven to earth in Fairfax. Let's give people in this community a glimpse of what's to come. Let's let them see Jesus so they can know Jesus and follow Jesus and punch some holes there themselves into this barrier that separates heaven from earth. Let's punch some holes in Fairfax as it is in heaven. Say that with me. In Fairfax as it is in heaven. In Fairfax as it is in heaven. God, you have called us. You have called us to be your advocates in a world that so desperately needs advocates. That, that you, have, you have called us to wait for what will come in all of its fullness, but to wait in hope. And that while we are waiting, while we are waiting for what's to come, while we are waiting for the time when there will be no more death and no more disease and no more cancer and no more loss and no more hurt and no more relationships that are being destroyed, that while we are waiting, we want to punch some holes in this barrier that separates heaven from earth because we know that one day that barrier, that veil is going to be taken away and heaven and earth are going to be one. But until that happens, may we be those who punch holes in that barrier and may people see Jesus and in seeing Jesus, want to know Jesus. And in wanting to know Jesus, want to follow Jesus. And join this righteous and holy and world-changing mission. In the name of Jesus, the Messiah, the Messianic King, the Righteous One, the Holy One, the Savior of the world, the one who redeems us and restores us and makes us whole, we pray. And everyone said, amen.